I'm excited to be here. I thought, I don't get to kind of come up here often, and so I thought I'd start off and um, let you guys in on a little bit of how I grew up. Is that okay? Can I do that? Um, So I grew up here in Jennings. I don't know if you guys know that, but born in Lafayette, but raised here in Jennings my whole life. Um, So I I went to school here, graduated JHS, all of that. Um, And I, if you guys know my parents, my, my dad was actually a chiropractor here in town. And my, uh, and so he, he was Dr. Lister, obviously. Um, and my, uh, growing up, my family cared. My parents made sure that we were in church every Sunday. Every Sunday, they made sure that we were going to church. Um, we, I grew up Catholic, so I, I went all the way up and made my confirmation. Um, and so I went to, uh, so like they, it wasn't just Sunday mornings, but it was also like those holy day of obligations that we, that we went to and, and all of that. They made sure that we were in church. So much so that as I was growing up, when I was in high school, I got a little bit older and I wanted to go spend the night at my friend's house like over the weekends. And so my mom was always like, you can go stay at Chris's house. My friend Chris lived in Welsh. You could go stay at Chris's house, but you have to go to church. And I was like, okay, that's fine. She was like, in order to prove it, you have to, you're gonna, I want you to bring me a bulletin from the church. <laughs> like, so, I, so I had to go to the church, get a, get a bulletin on the way out, and I had to bring it to her. So I, the smart kid that I was, would end up staying up all night with my friend Chris and, uh, and we getting into trouble. I didn't know the Lord then, for sure. Um, I, I was just going to church just to go. And, uh, and so I would, I would set my alarm for right before church would end. <laughs> yeah, right before church would end. And so my alarm would go off. I'd hurry up, throw some clothes on, get to the church right as they were uh, leaving the building. And I'd run up, grab a bulletin, go back to my friend Chris's house and go to bed. Um, I don't think my parents know that. (laughs) And so (laughs) this is a little bit of a confession, mom and dad, if you're watching this, that uh, that I I didn't actually go to church when I'd stay at Chris's house in Welsh. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I guess I did throw my friend Chris under the bus, but... (laughs) But so I, I grew up Christian, I grew up going to church, but I, like, I, I just went to church. My first kind of interaction with this church, believe it or not, was with uh, something called the Fuel Room. Okay, so uh, how many of you guys have been here since the Fuel Room? A little bit, a little bit of you. So the Fuel Room, what I knew it as in high school was, I, I literally, I, this is what I thought the Fuel Room was, a, uh, a concert venue. That's what I thought the fuel room was. It was, a, it was a place where metal and hardcore bands would come and play. That's, believe it or not, the fuel room was the connections building, the front building up there. We called it, it was called the fuel room. And we used to have metal shows, concerts, metal bands come and play. Um, Pastor Bubba's two sons were in a band called Herod. Shout out to Herod. Um, they were like leading the way on, on these hardcore shows. And, uh, and so it was fun. I would go, uh, probably getting into trouble because I didn't know the Lord, but that's kind of what I knew the fuel room as. But I, I'll tell you this, that it, connect, it, it opened a door for me. Um, it allowed me to get to know people and connect with people. And I got to know some of the people over here and connect with people over here. And my high school career is not 
my, like, my time in high school was not the best because I ended up dating this girl. Um, if you're a student here, you know my, my story, but I ended up dating this girl. Um, basically, she was my life. She broke up with me, broke my heart, and so went through a almost diagnosable depression a good bit of my high school career. And so finally, this leads up to senior year of high school, like March or April of the senior year of my high school. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's like, let's go check out Fuel, which was the name of the youth group here at the time. It was called Fuel, hence why the building was called the Fuel Room. And so uh, we went. And long story short, um, I gave my life to the Lord, and he began to comfort me out of my depression, and I, I began to, when I thought I'd never find happiness again, I began to find joy in him, and, and, and it was something that I gave my life to. I never was going to turn away from it. I knew that this was something I wanted to dedicate my life to. It was in that moment in the fuel room. But that's not the end of the story. That's not, in a lot of ways, that's actually where the, my story began. Because about a month in, um, at the time, uh, Pastor Bubba's son, Zach, Zach McCann, Pastor Zach, was the youth pastor. And so he came up to me about a month in, and he said, hey, Dustin, let's grab breakfast Friday morning before you go to school. And I was like, he, he, he said, my treat. <laughs> That's all I needed to hear. All I needed to hear was it's my treat. I was like, hey, I'm a high school senior. You said free food. I'm there. I'm down. Like, let's go. And so, um, so I set my alarm for an hour and a half before school started. And let me just tell you that that was not me. Little quick side, side story about like that was, that was me waking up an hour before school started was not me. I'm, how do I say this? The not the most punctual guy in the world. <laughs> um, I feel like I've grown in that a lot. I do. I feel like I've grown in, in my punctuality. I, 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 do, I do show up sometimes on time now. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so in high school, though, it was a problem. Like, I was the kid who was constantly on the verge of getting suspended for my tardies. Um, and so I was constantly waking up late. I, I, real quick, that there was, uh, there was a time that I actually only needed one more tardy and I was going to get suspended and I woke up late. And it was raining outside and so I threw clothes on, got in my car, jetted it to the school, probably went over the speed limit, um, zoomed into the parking lot, hurried up, threw my car in park, ran to the classroom and then scooted into the classroom right when the tardy bell rang. And I was like, sweet. I remember it was raining really bad that day. And I was like, I was feeling so good about myself. I was like, sweet. I made it. Until they came over the intercom. The owner of a green Cavalier, you left your car running. <laughs> Straight up left my car running. And so I go out and I'm like, I'm going to turn off the car. Oddly enough, I remembered to lock the car. Didn't remember to turn it off. <laughs> and so I had to call my parents. My parents came with the spare key, unlocked the car, and I had to turn it off. I was known as the guy who left his car running for quite some time in high school. Uh, if, if you're here and you went with me, uh, if you're, you're with me in high school, you know this story because I was known for that. But 
I set my alarm an hour and a half early. I got up that Friday morning and went and I had breakfast with Pastor Zach. And it was great. It was a great breakfast. I remember uh, like he just, just starting to open up the doors and talking to me about Jesus and how to live my life um, and, and, and how to live my life dedicated to Jesus. And I remember I was just like a sponge, like absorbing all the information I could from him. And I think by the end of the lunch, he, I mean the breakfast, he realized that. And he was like, do you want to grab breakfast every Friday morning? And I was like, I'd love to. This is great. And so for the months after that, Leading up until I graduated high school, I would wake up an hour and a half early, get dressed, and go meet Pastor Zach at McDonald's on Friday mornings. It was something I actually looked forward to, believe it or not. Like, I liked waking up and going have breakfast. Fast forward a couple months, I go to youth camp. Well, before I even, yeah, fast forward a few months, I go to youth camp. And uh, I, God radically changes my life at youth camp. It just radically changes my life. And I feel a call to ministry. And, and I remember having to navigate through that. I was, I was, I was in a worship service, and it was, it was like I heard the inaudible voice of God telling me that I was called to ministry. But then the reality of like, wait, how am I going to tell my parents? Wait, I have an apartment in Lafayette. Wait, like I was, I'm already enrolled in UL for graphic design. Like how is all this going to work and navigating through that? I remember I was sitting, I'll never forget the night that I was sitting outside of the door, a dorm room because we were staying at some kind of university. And I was having a conversation with Cody Dyke and then Pastor Josh walks in just helping me navigate through this tough decision that I was in. Little did I know that, that Cody and Pastor Josh were going to end up being some of the most influential people, men in my life in the coming years. But I surrounded myself around people that just were passionate about seeing me come to know Jesus, seeing me follow Jesus. And I'll tell you that that's why I'm passionate about OSC Youth. Because I don't know what other Dustin Lister is sitting in the crowd on Wednesday nights. What student is going through a depression is going to be radically changed by Jesus and start following Jesus. And so I surrounded myself around men that, that loved to see me grow, that wanted, that had a desire to reproduce themselves in me. And in a lot of ways they did. And it was great and awesome. They reproduce themselves in me. So in, in a marriage, if reproduction isn't happening, then something is wrong, right? Like something is, isn't, isn't happening, something's wrong. If you're trying to have a child, if you're trying to have a child and, a, a, and you're not reproducing, then something biologically, physically is wrong, right? Can I tell you something? That's the same for spiritual family. If reproduction isn't happening in spiritual family, then something is off. Something's not right. Something needs to be recalibrated. And I believe, us as a church, we believe that we're in spiritual family. I mean, I say that all the time, right? Like, people come for our services, but they stay for our what? Family. They stay for family they, because they find family here. And I tell you that we are some of the most welcoming, loving, caring individuals around, right? 
But that's not spiritual family. That's just being a great friend. You see, when re- if reproduction isn't happening in the context of spiritual family, then something isn't right. Something is wrong. And I want to be clear here. When I'm talking about reproducing yourself spiritually, I'm talking about this term discipleship. Discipleship. I have been discipled by Pastor Josh, and continue, Pastor Josh continues to disciple me. And so... The question still stands, what is discipleship? What is discipleship? Because I think over the years that term's kind of gotten a little um, ambiguous, right? Like it's, it's become a little unclear because all these different churches have these different definitions of discipleship. And I think today, um, in today's culture, the, it kind of means two things. Actually, biblically, it kind of can have, this term discipleship can have two meanings. The first meaning, it could be my own pursuit of learning and growing in Jesus. My own pursuit of learning and growing in Jesus is the first definition. Which we learned, I think, in a lot of ways from Pastor Scott Adams a few weeks ago what this, this uh, definition of discipleship is all about. He, dis- he uh, defined discipleship as to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, and to imitate Jesus in attitude and action. It's what a disciple is to imitate Jesus, to follow Jesus in in action and attitude. And then there's the second definition. The second definition of discipleship is my activity of helping others in the pursuit of learning and growing in Jesus. My pursuit of that, my helping of others in that process. And hear me, I'm saying process, not program, because discipleship's not a program. Discipleship is a process. It's something that's heart to heart, not head to head. It's not something that you could just go through and then be done. It's a process. And so when, when, I, when you know someone or get to know someone, I think that the first and last thing that someone tells you is probably some of the most important things that they can tell you, Right? Like the first thing, like when they introduce themselves, hi, I'm so-and-so, and and I'm, like that's an important thing to say, right? That's, you're going to pay attention to what they say they are, or who they are, or what they're saying. And then the last thing someone tells you is really important as well, right? And so like someone on their deathbed, or maybe you're not going to see this person ever again, and you feel that, the last words that someone says are very important. And so the scripture I want to look at today are two scriptures, kind of two main scriptures that are the first commands that Jesus gave his disciples and the last command that Jesus gave his disciples. Picture it like two bookends of Jesus's ministry, the start and the end of Jesus's ministry. And I know that a lot of you may have heard these scriptures before, but I think a lot of us need to be reminded today about what these scriptures mean. And what do they mean for us? And what, how can we apply them to our lives? And so the first, the first scripture, this is the first thing that Jesus ever said to his disciples is Matthew 4, 19. Matthew 4, 19 says this. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. So, Many, many of us live in southwest Louisiana, right? So we, we like fishing here. Am I right? Like, we're some fishing people. 
And so when, when Jesus is, is talking to, uh, talking to the, the disciples here, he knows that they're fishermen by trade. And I know that most of us in here are not fishermen by trade. I know most of us in here wish we were fishermen by trade, uh, but we're not. Um, but everyone knows that guy, right? Like, you know the guy. The guy who's like really into fishing. <laughs> the guy who's like, the weather is, 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 has moved this way, and so because of this, the fish are going to be downstream here, or the, the water has turned, so you have to, your lure has to go down deep, or actually the water is, is, is good on the surface, or because of the way the flow is, this fish are right here. Everyone knows that guy, especially living here, um, the guy who's, who's super into fishing, and it's great. That's awesome. I mean, I like fishing a little. <laughs> Not the biggest uh, fishing guy. But it's this idea that, 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 that he's, this guy who's into fishing is seeking and looking and finding by any means necessary to find this fish, right? And so he's figuring it out. He's thinking about it. He's going about trying to find these fish. Jesus lays it right from the beginning. He says, if you want to follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Following equals fishing. I would argue that if you're not fishing, then you may not be following like you should be. But we're, why aren't we fishing? Why, why are we not looking, why are we not being fishers of men? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we're not being, uh, I'll tell you why we're not. Because we're not looking. The reality is, the truth is, is there's hurting, broken, messed up people who need Jesus all around us, all over our community, in our workplaces, at Walmart, wherever we go, there are hurting, broken people all over the place. In your neighborhood, your neighbor could be someone who's hurting and broken, but you're not looking for them. Why? Because you're too busy looking at a TV screen or a phone screen. That culture is, is rocky right now. We can agree to that, right? Like there's division that's happening. Everyone's fighting, hating each other. It's, it's not the best place to be. And so what happens is, is we have a tendency to run to escape from reality. So I'm gonna turn on the TV and watch Netflix or Hulu, or I'm gonna grab my phone and scroll on Netflix so I don't have to face the realities that's outside of my house. But the problem is, is you're looking at the TV screen. You're not looking at the neighbor who's hurting and broken. And so we, we have this problem where the gospel is stopping with us. The gospel that you have is not intended to stop with you. It's intended to spread through you. The gospel that you have experienced, the gospel that set you free, the gospel that you learned that you learned to depend on in times of crisis, the Jesus that has been there for you through it all, is not designed to stop with you. It's not just designed for you to experience this and just to hold it to yourself. The gospel is designed for it to spread through everyone that you come in contact with. But we're so busy with distractions. 
that we lose track of what fishing actually means, that fishing equals following. And so we fast forward a few years, and the disciples do that. They follow Jesus, right? They become fishers of men. And it's great. They see Jesus doing all these miraculous things. They're walking with him and through everything. And then we pick up at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he ascends to the Father. His last commandment, he says, it's Matthew 28, 19. And it says this. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a lot that's actually going on in this scripture. And so what I want to do is I want to break down what this last commandment, think about about someone on their deathbed, this last words that someone's going to say to you, Jesus is saying this. This has weight to it, right? This has has some weight to what Jesus is saying. And so I want to break it down. I see, what I see in this scripture is a lot of verbs. I see go. I see make. I see baptize, I see teach. And so what does it mean to go? What does he mean by that? What what does he mean when he says go? Well, I don't know if you guys know this, but in the original translation, it doesn't actually mean go. the, The meaning is more while going. So it doesn't say go make disciples, but it says while you are going make disciples. And so it changes it from something that you have to go and do to something that is in you, something that is something that is just an extension of who you are. While you go, make disciples. While you do whatever you do, make disciples. It's it's not another to-do list. So it's not something that you have to just add to your to-do list. Let me go and disciple, and then, all right, check, now I'm done. No, it's, it's ingrained into everything you do. It's ingrained into who you are. You know, Pastor Rick Warren, he's the pastor of Saddleback Church. Um, he has this big church, all these things. And, uh, and so they had some people ask him once. He said, how do you encourage your church through personal evangelism? And he says this, he said, uh, Saddleback has never instituted a formal evangelism program. Instead, he tells his people this. He says, write down what you love to do the most and then go and do it with unbelievers. Whatever you love to do, turn it into ministry. Whatever you love to do. Do you love fishing? Turn it into ministry. Do you love hunting? Invite unbelievers to the hunting lodge with you or the hunting lease, whatever it is. Invite them into what you're already doing. Don't add another meeting. Add men and women to the meetings you already have. That's what this looks like. That's what, while you're going, make disciples. Which is the second verb I see. It says make. Now notice it doesn't say here, make Christians. Because I think we're really good at that. Making Christians, making people who can come on a Sunday and, or show up once a week, 
I'm not saying that church isn't bad by any means. It's important. But I think we've trained people to come to service, hear a message, and then leave. And that's it. The truth is, is that if Jesus took his 12 disciples and met with them once a week and taught them a lesson, the disciples wouldn't have nearly been as changed or impactful as they were. We have to make disciples, not just make Christians. And so there's two verbs kind of that I see, there's two, two verbs that I see kind of in this word make that I think define for us what making a disciple looks like. The first one is baptize. To baptize. Like Lucy said earlier, baptism Sunday is next Sunday. Um, which I did not plan that. <laughs> I'm just saying I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about baptism Sunday when I, was, when I was writing this message or when I was deciding on this point. Baptism Sunday, I just, I, we've had people like, uh, like sign up for baptism. I've helped people sign up for baptism this week. And I don't know if you guys know this, but on the form, there's actually a check that says, do you want people, the, our baptism team to baptize you or do you want someone else to baptize you? And you could check one or the other because our heart as a church is not to just see the pastors baptizing people. The heart of our church is to see our people go and, and, and fish for men and women and, bring, and lead them to the Lord and disciple them. And when they are ready, when the time is right and they want to make go public, that you're the one coming up here and baptizing the person that you led to the Lord. And that's, we, it's not about what everything a pastor can do. And I know that we've trained ourselves to think that way. Well, isn't that a pastor's job? Actually, biblically, it's not. Biblically, the pastor's job is to equip the saints, to equip the people. It is your job to go and to actually do a lot of the ministry. Now, don't get me wrong. I love doing ministry, but, but it's your job. And if you're still thinking, like trying to buck what I'm saying here, that even First Peter talks about that you're a royal priesthood, that God calls you priests, God calls you a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You guys are pastors, you guys are empowered. You have the Holy Spirit that can go and help lead people to the Lord and, and, and lead them to Christ and show them Christ. And then when the time is right, come up here and baptize them. That's what we want. We want to see you guys baptizing people you're discipling. And then the second part of, uh, of making a disciple is teaching them. Teaching them. Which is crucial. Te and, and so what, in this translation, um, it's a little bit different, but in other translations, it says teaching them to obey. It says teach them to obey, which is a big deal. I think about uh, James 2 where it says that if you are a hearer of the word and not just a, I mean, if you're, yeah, if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, that you're like someone that looks in the mirror and you forget what you look like. We have to disciple people. We have to teach people not just the word of God, but we have to teach them to obey the word of God. There is a difference there. You know, uh, Pastor Francis Chan uh, puts it a really great way in this analogy. He's, he, he talks about his daughter, but I, I'll use my son. I said, what if I told my son, all right, Emerson, go clean your room? And 
So he goes to his room, and then a little while later, he comes back, and I'm like, all right, Emerson, did you clean your room? And he's like, no, Dad, but I remembered what you said. You said, clean your room. I'm like, great, I'm glad you remembered that, but did you clean your room? Go clean your room, Emerson. So he'd go back, and a little while later, he'd come back out. All right, Emerson, did you clean your room? No, but I got a bunch of friends, and we sat around a circle, and we... And we uh, talked about what, what does it mean to clean your room and how we could all do that better and how we could be better at cleaning our rooms. But that's great, but did you clean your room? No, I didn't clean my room. Emerson, go clean your room. A little while later, come back. All right, Emerson, did you clean your room? No, <laughs> but I remember, but I learned how to say clean your room in Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> What it real like in the Latin, in this translation, it means this. No, but you still need to go clean your room. I think we do that a lot of times with Christianity, with God. We're like, oh, we're going to get around a circle and let's learn about Jesus. But then we, it doesn't extend past that. We don't actually teach people how to obey the word. I'll tell you this, that a uh, quote from uh, I don't forget her name. What's her name? Winky something. Uh, Winky Prattney. There we go. Uh, she says, the quickest way to grow is as soon as you learn something, teach someone else. So, as soon, you want to learn something, teach someone else. And you see this all throughout Scripture. Watch, I'm going to say some. Titus 2.4 says, older women are to teach younger women. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, what I have taught you, I want... You to go and teach others who go and teach others. Matthew 28, 20, fathers are to train their children. And then also we got the big one. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says to, Paul says to imitate me as I am of Christ, which is a big one. Imitate, because I'll tell you, the be, I'll tell you the best way to teach someone something is to invite them into your life, to live life with them. I mean, First Thess- watch what First Thessalonians says. It says this, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You want to know what discipleship is? It's inviting people into your life, giving people your life. Because the best way to teach someone is, is I, I could tell you, hey, you need to love your wife but it's better if I invite you into my life and show you how I love my wife. It's not just about teaching you how to raise your children, but inviting you into my life and showing you how I raise my children. It's not just about telling you to go and share your faith, but inviting you into experiences where you see me sharing my faith. You have to live life with people. Invite them into your life. Show them how you live it. And then kind of the, if, if, if we were, um, if, we, if someone came and told me this morning, Dustin, um, I have this gospel. Uh, I, want you to, I want you to get it to the nations. I want this gospel to reach the nations. If someone were to tell you that this morning, what would you think about? Like, how do we get this news to everyone? 
So I'm thinking, all right, we need the best cameras, we need lighting, we need to make sure that we're streaming to the right platforms, we need some kind of viral aspect to get people to share it, and then maybe we'll be able to reach the nations. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He chose to go, to, to put himself in a time where he only had a, he only traveled a, a little bit, but he poured himself into 12 men who poured themselves into 12 men, who poured themselves into 12 men. And it's because of their obedience to discipleship that we have Christianity today. Which seems impossible, right? Like completely, like how does that even happen? The truth is, is it's because it's multiplication instead of addition. You see, we've structured church and Christianity in an in addition mindset. So let me invite them to church and we'll add people to the kingdom of God. I'll tell you what discipleship is. It's multiplication. That if I'm pouring into three people and those people are discipling th three people and those three people are discipling three people, you can see how that's multiplication. That we're adding people to the kingdom of God in droves instead of single numbers. That I tell people all the time, I tell the people that I, I disciple all the time, I said, do you know that Pastor Jacob disciples you? And they're like, what? And I say, yeah. I said, Pastor Jacob disciples Pastor Bubba, Pastor Bubba disciples Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh disciples me and I disciple you. Pastor Jacob has a hand in discipling you. I mean, think about that for a second, how amazing that is. But he sandwiches, Jesus sandwiches this scripture with two encouragements. He says, first, he says, uh, all authority of heaven and earth has been given to me, talking about Jesus. So all of the authority has been given to Jesus. And then he ends with this. He says, but I will be with you always. So you can walk and disciple and pour into people with confidence that while you're going and doing it, that you have God with you, that you have Jesus, the person who has authority over heaven and earth is walking with you and helping you every step of the way. And so we can walk with confidence in that. Like, man, I just, uh, like, I'm just, I need help myself. Yes, you do. You should probably get discipled. But then also you, you can walk in confidence that you can go and disciple others no matter what walk of life you're in. You can pour yourself into other people. You have something else to teach others. God hasn't just des uh, designed disciple making for others to grow in Christ. God has designed disciple-making for you to grow in Christ. I remember the first time I decided to commit to this principle. I was like, you know what? I'm going to start discipling people. I'm going to start pouring myself into people. I saw a visible change in my walk with God. Like, yeah, the first one might have, it was, it was a little rough. Like, I think, uh, I think he was just wanting me to disciple him so he could get out of the house and get free food. But after that, after that, it was just some of the most life-giving, it was, it was the most life-giving thing I've ever done. Like, like, I disciple guys that have become so close to me that I believe that it's for a lifetime. 
And it's helped me to grow too, that, that I remember when I first started discipling guys, that like I, I'd have guys like come up to me and ask me these questions, and it was a lot of like, let me get back to you on that, because I don't know the answer to your questions. But he'd ask me, they'd ask me questions, and I had to look it up, and I had to, dude, I'm telling you that when you start reading the Bible for not just yourself, but for other people as well, I'm telling you, that's when the Bible started becoming alive to me. Because I didn't only just see it transform my life, but I saw it transform others through my obedience and just reading scriptures. You know, I had this, uh, this illustration that I did with the youth a couple weeks ago. I wasn't about to do it here on a Sunday. It was a little too risky of an illustration. But I had this cup, and I filled it up with water. And I filled it up to the top, and I said, can I pour any more water into this cup? No, it's full. There's nothing more I can pour into this cup because it's full. And then I took a, a knife and I stuck a, a hole in the bottom of it. And water started coming out. And then space began to happen in the cup that I could pour more water into. And I think that's a great representation of what discipleship is. That the more you pour yourself out, the more you have room for God to fill you up. But if you just have this Christianity that's focused on yourself, you're not going to feel, you're going to hit a plateau. You're going to hit a ceiling in your Christianity. The moment you stop discipling people is the moment you start dying. We make disciples, and God builds the church. We don't build the church, and God doesn't make disciples. And so my question to you today is this. Are you discipled? Are you being discipled? We're not going to have, like, a, a response time where people are raising their hands, because I'll tell you, the response to this message is what happens after this message. Because this is the best day to start implementing this. That just outside, after service, there is a tent with tables, with people around those tables who want to disciple you. Like that's what they're there for. They're gonna be standing in the heat, sweating, you know, sweating all over, <laughs> because they want to disciple you. Because they want to disciple you. I mean, that's why they're there. That's why they signed up for it. They say, I'm going to lead a life group because I want to disciple people. That's what our life groups are all about here. It's designed to get you into discipleship relationships. And if you're, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I, I need to be discipled. I, I need to take that next step. Go and sign up for a life group right after this service. Or maybe you're in here and God's calling you to start stepping up and discipling others as well. You can do that too. I remember, um, so a little bit further in my story, um, that, so I go back and I tell my parents, I say, hey, um, I feel called to ministry. <laughs> um, and I don't think I'm going to go to UL. I don't think I'm going to pursue graphic design. And, uh, and my parents were like, no way. 
That's not happening. <laughs> um, and, and I think most parents would have that response, right? Like, no, you're going to college. <laughs> like, and so I did. Like, I was navigating through that, and so we decided, I'm just going to honor my parents. I'm going to go to UL. So I went to UL for a little while. I ended up switching to LSUE eventually and getting a degree there. But I remember I was like, having this mentality when I was going to UL, I was like, God, just use me at UL. God, just use me at UL. God, just use me at UL. Give me, this is what, this is what I prayed. I said, give me this divine opportunities to share your word. That was my prayer. And sure enough, left and right, people in my classes were just coming and asking me these obvious questions that led to me telling them about Jesus. And so maybe you're in here and you want to take that next step. Start discipling someone. Start discipling people. Pray that prayer. God, put them in my path. God, give me eyes to see. Help me to fish so I can find the people you want me to pour myself into, the people you want me to teach and train, to lead closer to you. And finally, maybe you're in here and you're not a disciple. The truth is, is trying to get someone to disciple who's not a disciple yet is a dead end. It's a dead end. So maybe you're hearing this for the first time and, and you're like, man, I think I, I want this. I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a part of spiritual family. You know, Ephesians 2 says that he predestined you for adoption. Like, he's adopted you into his family. No matter what family you've come from, no matter how messed up it is, God is wanting to adopt you into his family. I told this to the youth a couple weeks ago too. I said, the all, all you have to do to be adopted into God's family is to believe in the God whose family it belongs to. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I just want to take that next step. I want to, I want to believe in God. I want, to, I want to be adopted into his family. I understand that he died for me and my sins. If that's you, after service, we're going to have the prayer team come up and don't leave here without being prayed for. Or even if you're in the other two groups and you're like wanting to be discipled or wanting to disciple and you just need prayer, we're well, going to have the prayer team up. So we're not going to do hand raising or anything like that because like I said, the response is what happens after this service. Are you going to get into discipleship relationships? Are you going to take the next step to disciple others? Let's pray. God, I pray that you help us, that you say all authority of heaven and earth has been given to you and that you are with us, God. And so help us to remember that. Help us to, to have that authority to, to see people that are your sons and daughters that are hurting and broken and need people to lead them to you. That your word says the harvests are plentiful, but the laborers are few. God, raise up laborers right now as I'm praying this. God, in this building and online, God, that you're raising up laborers right now. You're, giving, you're, you're, you're pulling on their hard strings to, to take that next step and make Christianity not just about them, but about leading others to you as well. Help us in that. Help us to get in discipleship relationships. And be with us if we're ready.
to take that next step in following you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.